0: Last year, we were in verse-by-verse study through Matthew, and we worked our way all the way up to Passion Week. And we landed on Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday. Uh, Then Friday, we we went further into the cross on Good Friday last year. And then we had Easter, and he had risen, and we were all so happy. But the next place to go in our verse-by-verse study was back to the cross. And so it didn't make any sense to go backwards. So we went forward into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, and we kept going, and that's where we usually are. But I said last year, springtime, we'll come back. We'll take a break from wherever we are in Acts, and we'll come back to Matthew 21 and pick up and do a, bust out a few uh, sermons uh, leading up to Easter. And so we only really have three weeks to do that. I wish I had remembered uh, earlier, cause there's Matthew 21 to Matthew 28 is lacking the only place in the New Testament on our website, on the app. And so, uh, but we're gonna knock out a few of them. We're gonna go back to Passion Week. It'll be Monday of Passion Week. A heads up on that. Let's go to the Lord for his help. Father God, we do need your help, and that's why we just don't bow our heads and say a meaningless prayer. It's because we know, God, who we are and what we are without the grace of God. So we, we're we in desperate need. Your translation, Holy Spirit, um, your softening of our hearts, your gathering of our thoughts, and you've given us courage to just hear the truth. And especially today, Jesus, you cleansing the temple, there are some applications that are difficult to hear. Help us, God, you want a pure heart, and uh, we need to work at that with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Unbelievable how things fall into place. But today is the first day of spring, and uh, with the warmer weather uh, arriving right on schedule, I should say, as I mentioned, uh, 70s and 80s this week, with the change of season, some people really enjoy that springtime cleaning uh, that, that we call spring cleaning, they're uh, doing a deep... Clean, as it were, a a scouring through the house, removing all of that junk and the clutter and the debris that tends to accumulate all over the place. It's no fun doing it at the time, but afterwards it feels really good. And well, it's springtime in Jerusalem and time for a little spring cleaning of the spiritual kind here in Matthew 21. The house in question doesn't belong to Peter, James, or John. It's the house of the Lord, as it's called the Temple of God there in Jerusalem. It's in need of a deep clean. The owner of the house has come into town and he doesn't like what he sees or smells. And as this case is, a bunch of barnyard animals running around inside. Believe it or not. And so, even more detestable, he finds unscrupulous men doing some really shady things. And so, it's time to take out the trash, so to speak. Here, as I've been saying in Matthew 21, here's the context It's Passion Week, it's Monday, Palm Sunday was the day before. The Jewish holiday of Passover is fast approaching. And Jesus and his disciples by custom are once again now the third time in Jerusalem for the holidays. And uh, the day previous to this occasion in the temple or uh, quite the fanfare. Palm Sunday called the triumphant entry uh, in keeping with Zechariah's prophecy, chapter nine, verse nine, that the king, the divine son slash king would come into the city riding gently and humbly on a donkey, which is very fitting for the kind of work he came to do that first time, was to humble himself and lay his life down on the cross, paying for the sins of the world. And so uh, it will be the last Passover celebration because he's the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who came to Uh, take away the sins of the world, as he's called there in John chapter 1 and verse 29. Uh, Yes, so it's Monday. We're four days out from Good Friday in this passage here. Good Friday for us. Bad Friday for the Lord of glory. And so after the parade, now uh, into Jerusalem, the palm branches are gone and the hosannas have been sung and Hundreds of thousands of people singing and praising God. That's done. First stop for Jesus, the temple of the Lord. Time to take care of business, his father's business. Time to do a little spring cleaning. The verses before you now, starting in verse 12. The Lord Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, adding some information from Mark and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, and now he's going to quote Isaiah 56 verse, uh, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you are making it a den of robbers, quoting again from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 7. We'll pause there. This will be the first point and the crux of the message, actually. There'll be a second point with a couple extra paragraphs before the incident before us resolves. But if you're taking notes now, we'll just consider these first two verses, uh, 12 and 13, under the heading of the displeasure of God. So first, yeah, he's got to clean up the mess before he can bless. And um, we're going to start with the mess, quite literally here in the temple courts. And so why don't we uh, have a picture of those temple courts just in a model there of Jerusalem and the temple. And. Um, here, the, the courts of the Gentiles are, is the open space there. And that is where Gentiles could come and hear the word of the Lord, and they would gather and they would have pulpits, and there would be teaching and prayers, and the, this was reserved. And so this is the main temple, of course. Uh, but the Gentiles, meaning all nations, Jew or not, It didn't matter. You were welcome to come and be a part of services. And there were teachers and rabbis and priests uh, supposedly there uh, to help you. And so that's what you can picture there in your minds. And so, uh, yeah, the Lord is going to enter and he's not going to be very happy. And for good reason, you know. Um, This is a very uncharacteristic display Of righteous indignation, the Lord is not sinning or losing his cool. Everything God does is in perfect holiness and goodness. And so something evil needs to be taken care of, and he's going to take care of it. But when you see the God of all patience, the humble Lord of love, with his veins popping and his nostrils flared, it's time to sit up and pay attention. Amen? The Proverbs put it well. (laughs) The anger of the king is a deadly threat, and the wise will try to appease it. That's Proverbs 16 and verse 14. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, why would you want to be on the other end of the displeasure of the Almighty? And uh, he makes that so easy to avoid simply trusting his son. Um, I'd rather be blessed and commended for doing the right thing uh, than being disciplined for behaving badly. And whether you're saved or not, that's why you're paying attention. Whether you're saved or not, the Lord will discipline us when we need to. So why give him uh, a reason to bring down a paddle? Wouldn't you rather him bring down some blessing? Amen. Okay, what's the Savior, long-suffering as he is, uh, so up in arms about? Okay, verse 12, he enters the temple. He goes up through the southern steps out, and that's what he finds there. Uh, he finds people uh, buying and selling. Now, uh, there are a lot of crowds. Just so you got to picture that uh, because it's uh, Passover week. Uh, They're prepping, they're getting ready. And uh, Deuteronomy 16 uh, required all Jewish people, no matter where you lived in the world, to come to Jerusalem. So the normal population at that time of Jerusalem, Josephus says, about 200,000 people. And at Passover, it would swell to a million plus So those streets are jammed. Every room that could be had is taken. Every hotel, every inn, every uh, guest room, everything is full up and people are everywhere. Two things are going on. Your text tells you merchandise is being bought and sold and currencies are being exchanged. We're going to talk about that now because at first glance, it's like kind of innocuous. It doesn't seem like it's all that bad, but something very dark and very sinister is going on here to tweak Jesus' meters in a sacred and holy way. Uh, Verse 12, we see the only begotten Son of God taking action The merchandisers and their customers are booted, and the money changers' tables are upended. Okay, let's talk about the commerce going on there. Who's selling what to whom, and why is the Lord so upset? Well, the reason for the season, as I've been saying, is the holiday of Passover, a holiday that for 1,500 years had commemorated God delivering his people out of Egyptian slavery. More specifically, of course, Passover was that 10th plague that broke Pharaoh and caused him to let the people go, the death of the firstborn. And so Moses told his people gathered there, the Hebrews, listen, death is coming. There's a way of escape, and here's the plan. Each one of you for your families take a lamb without defect, sprinkle its blood over the doorpost. The angel of death will come looking to do the deed of death and will see the blood and will pass over. The death angel comes and says, what I require has already been done here. There's been a death on the behalf of the household. Next. And it would only strike unless where there was no blood, this of course for 1,500 years, was pointing to the work of Messiah, the Lamb of God, the permanent fix for sinners and their sin by his sacrifice. And that blood gets sprinkled on the doorposts of our hearts. And when death comes calling for the deserving sinner that we are, It sees the blood and says, oh, there's been a death on this sinner's behalf. Don't need to strike this one because it's already been smitten by God. Judged. Every last sin paid for. It is finished, said the Lord. And death passes over. You see. So in ancient times, these worshipers who... We're told to come. They were told to come. Don't come empty-handed. And by the way, it's to every gathering in every sanctuary in the Old Testament. Do not come empty-handed. Participate in the worship through making it possible with your offering. And that's exactly what offerings did. So when they would bring an offering, it served two purposes. One was to make atonement for personal sin. There's a problem here. (laughs) The lamb represented you, and was slaughtered on your behalf. And it made uh, temporary atonement and reconciliation. The second thing, and most Christians don't understand that, that the offering supplied the communal meal afterwards. So now that God is happy with the sinner because your sins are covered, now there's time for a festival. That's why they're called the feasts. They're holidays, right? And so you sit with the lamb, with the beef, with the olive oil, with the grain, with, the, with the, the cakes, as it were, all made from the offerings. And so just like the offering of Jesus and we consume in a sense him in the cross, we drink the cup, we eat the bread because the offering is Christ and makes possible the communion of joy. Afterwards. And so, yeah, it wasn't practical for them to haul the livestock and the offerings with them if they're traveling from afar. So they thought, well, we'll purchase what we need when we get to Jerusalem. And this may shock you, but greedy people exploited and commercialized the holiday and devised ways (laughs) to create opportunities to make gobs and gobs of money from these unsuspecting vulnerable worshipers. And so the markets and the vendors moved from the narrow cobblestone streets of Jerusalem into the church, inside, with their animals, with their goods. It became a bazaar in the courts of the Lord. But they had to pay a dear price financially, and the better the stall, the more the money that they paid to the corrupt priests, who also, on top of the rental, got a cut of their profits, a huge one. Oh, but that's not all. Operation Fleece the Sheep (laughs) (laughs) was done by men who were representing God in robes and in the church to worshipers. Let me read the definition of price gouging. When a seller increases the prices of goods, services, or commodities to a level much higher than is considered reasonable or fair, I remember traveling to Idaho. My wife is from Weezer, Idaho. And through the years, we make the trek and long stretches of barren roads without a 7-Eleven, without a gas station. You just see a lot of tumbleweeds and such. And when you need gas, you start getting a little nervous. And and then you come into (laughs) Winnemucca. And there's the one gas station. Several miles, nothing except that one gas station. And you're shocked to see that everything in there from a bottle of water to a bag of chips to the gas is all sky high. Why? Gotcha. We gotcha. You know, where are you going to find your gas? Where are you going to get your bottle of water? You know, you're stuck here. So pay it. You know, and that's what exactly what was going on in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You're stuck. Do you want to enter? Do you want to have a Passover? Uh, Well, then a pair of doves that cost a few dollars outside the temple now costs, according to Barclay, $100. You do the math. $100. More despicable than that. They were defrauding people on purpose this way. They said, okay, we're on to you. We got our own lamb. Thank you very much. We're not paying four times what you want. And here's what the rabbis would do. They would be the inspectors. And they would check the lamb because it had to, according to Moses, be without defect, as Christ is. Without defect, they'd feel the hips and go, oy vey. You know, we got a little hip problem here with the bones and all of such, you know. Or they would uh, open the mouth as they do at 4-H. And they, they're looking in there. <laughs> you know what? Their teeth. Their, their sheep teeth. You know, how bad can they be? You know, oh, what, what was going on here? No orthodontics uh, as a child. You know, whatever uh, they were up to, it was uh, awful. And so what they would say is, uh, reject this one but we do happen to have kosher-approved, temple-inspected, rabbi-endorsed lambs for you. Just get your wallet out because it's going to cost a lot of money. And so notice the both. And that's, of course, what made Jesus see red, this kind of thing. Notice both in your verses here that both the sellers and the buyers are ousted together. Why? Because on both ends, the atmosphere was just wrong. On both ends, (laughs) the haggling, the bargaining, the insulting, the getting offended, all of it was just a cacophony, a big word, just means a big, loud ruckus, a mess, just a mess. It all needed to go. There was no solemnness, no sacredness, no holiness, no joy in the Lord. It was just a big, chaotic mess and so money changing scheme there the you know this the foreigners who are coming in uh, were bringing pagan money uh, coins with guess whose image stamped on it caesar's and uh, they had shekels and they said no none of that in the holy city of jerusalem so we'll exchange your pagan money for the holy hebrew shekel and and in other words and i did the math it is, if you wanted $100 worth of shekels, you'd give them 200. That's unbelievable. So Jesus came in to that scene to see men who should be welcoming them with the word of God and in holiness and in joy in the Holy Spirit. Instead, these wolves, wolves, wolves in sheep's clo- sheep's clothing, salivating, seeing money, money signs in their eyeballs, you know, just like the cartoons. And these guys were born into the aristocracy or bribed their way to the top. And uh, yeah, worshipers, and here's, here's why you can understand what Jesus did. They came, worshipers came seeking rest, comfort, hope. Life is hard. Truth An interaction with God. And instead they find these guys, these these false teachers, these swindlers masquerading and being swindled in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. It's one thing to swindle a person. It's another thing to represent God and do it in Jesus name for personal gain not too terribly far from what's going on today and Solomon was right is there anything new under the sun these guys are alive and well and they're on late night TV you know Uh, you know what I need I need an airplane I need an airplane because I just don't do well in the economy that's not God's will for my life I need a jet plane 60 million dollars and I know somebody's sitting on a gold mine out there and if you bless me God will bless you yeah, and I'll send you a little holy water that I myself got took from the Jordan River and I said a blessing over it. I don't know where this voice is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why it went Southern. I have no explanation <laughs> for any of it, except I think you know what I'm talking about. I have written here, bottom floor of hell. Bottom floor of hell, that's where they go. It's reserved for people like that. Jesus said this, stumble, my little ones. And that's exactly what they're doing. You don't think there was a Jewish guy there saying, this religion is nonsense. All they want is your money. And walked away from that and didn't enter in. You don't think that happened? Jesus said, it would be better for you if a slab of concrete was tied to your throat and you thrown into the Pacific Ocean than what's waiting for you. A den of robbers, he said, this place is more like a crack house than a church. That's what den of robbers means. It means that little seedy, dark apartment where drug dealers do their nasty work. That's what he said. That's what it is like in here, the church of the living God. And so (laughs) he starts taking action. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The word is Gentiles. So they're standing in the court for the Gentiles, reserved for the Gentiles. But the Gentiles are on the outside. Why? Because the stalls have taken the place. The livestock with their messy cages are jammed in there for profit while people who are coming to to seek the Lord are on the outside but who cares about Gentiles? Those same men woke up that morning and prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, that I wasn't born a Gentile. They hated them. So what's more important, a Gentile find the Lord or shekels for my pockets? Answer, me, myself, and I and the shekels. Gentiles, needy people turned away because of avarice and greed. Unbelievable. And I am not surprised that in Amos, God speaking about their Passover get togethers, here's what God has to say to them First person, I hate, I despise your religious get togethers, your festivals, your assemblies are a stench in my nostrils. Of course. <laughs> now that we know what they were doing, Of course, those words make sense. And then again in Isaiah, the Jews get before and they start praying, God, why aren't you hearing our prayers? Why are you letting the enemies trample all over us? And he says, I'll tell you why. It's because it's all a show. You're close to me with your lips, but you're far away, a million miles away from me with your heart. And he says, you expect me to reward that? He said, no, I don't reward that. So he took action and he wants to clean up the mess so that he can bless. And by the way, one last thing before we do move on. It's not the first time the coins and the doves went flying, it's the second time. If you read John chapter 2, the beginning of his ministry, Jesus went into the temple, saw the scene, much like it was in on this occasion. And uh, same kind of language, only he took a cord, some cords, and turned it into a whip and drove not the people with the whip, but the animals out. And he said the same kinds of things. He said, You've turned my father's house into a market. Get these things out of here. He starts his ministry sweeping the temple clean. He's gonna close out his ministry sweeping it clean. What's the takeaway? Self-reform is worthless. You can legislate, you can force, you can manipulate somebody to do the right thing, but if they don't have a touch of the Holy Spirit, a work of God, a genuine thing, a miraculous intervention of God in your heart, you will go back sooner or later to the messy stalls. It's just what happened, and isn't that why four days later, and I wouldn't be surprised, nor were the commentators that the temple courts would be by Friday, good Friday, four more days, they'd be filled again, right? That's why Anna to goes to the cross, because that's how we are. Because a pig that gets washed only goes back to wallow in the mud, as Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says. But if that pig has a heart change, and God gives the pig a new nature that doesn't like the smell of the muck and the mire anymore and stays out of that. Well, then that's a genuine conversion. But in order for that to happen, he had to go to the cross. Four days later, he's dying for them so that they can turn and change and be saved. And so strange to see Jesus aggressive. You know, uh, my kid, Zach, when we were, I don't know, he must, he was a grade schooler. We read this at bedtime and he said, dad, that's the first time Jesus sinned, huh? And, and I said, no, I said, Zach, what if somebody came in tonight, a stranger, a bad guy came in into our house while we're in bed? And I got all upset and I got excited and I, I grabbed the guy and threw him out, you know? And I used violence and force. I was really upset. Would I be sinning? And he goes, no, Dad. No, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, think of it like that. That's the Lord's house. These are bad guys. Uh, they're doing bad things. And so, yeah. Uh, it <laughs> he came the first time humble. And he said, I'm humble with me. You know, the second time he comes, as Brother Perkins put it, Jesus' donkey riding days are over. (laughs) He's coming back as a conqueror for those who will snub what he did on the cross in love for the bad guys. And if you don't want to accept that uh, invitation to get right with God, well, then you're going to get the tables overturned. And listen, you think this was a big deal? Revelation chapter 6 through 19, he's going to overturn the world. He's going to flip the world on its axis. He's going to renew it, but he's going to come in and he's flipping it. And while the church is out of harm's way, caught up in heaven to be with the Lord forever, Uh, I can't resist that. I've got Chronicles of Narnia illustration here. Susan asked Mr. Beaver about the king of Narnia, whom they hadn't met yet. And she found out that Aslan was a lion. And she said, oh, I should not like to meet a lion. She goes, I'm quite afraid. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, "Uh, is he safe? Oh, how silly. Of course he's not safe. Did you hear me? He's a lion. He's the king of the woods, man. No, of course he's not safe. But he's good. But he's good. Yeah. So I have written here, he's good, but mess with him at your own peril. All right. And by the way, the house of prayer that he says, prayer is the umbrella word. It doesn't mean strictly prayer. It means interaction with God. So in his sanctuary comes singing and praising and loving him and loving each other and doing works of good deeds and merciful things and gravelry, uh, uh, helping people who, who are in need and all of this stuff. I say gravel for the, uh, for the uh, good deed that was done uh, to Miss Bonnie's home there. And so all of that is a part, the preaching of the gospel. They're bringing your friend to hear the Lord. This is what happens in the house of prayer. We send out missionaries in the house of prayer. So he's cleaned up the mess. It's time to bless. Let's see what he wants to do in those courts. The blind and the lame are now free to come in to the courts and be healed. And that's what he does. He heals them, verse 15. But when the chief priests as the teachers of the law, the guys in the robes, the guys with the Bibles, see the wonderful things he's doing and the children shouting in the temple area, praising God, Hosanna to the son of David, a messianic term from the Old Testament. They were humbled. They softened their heart. They said, oh my word, we've got the wrong guy here. Look what he can do. The miracles. No, they were red hot. Resentful, indignant, irritated, aggravated, and began looking for a way to kill him, Mark tells us, for his wonderful things. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They feared that they were gonna lose their job, A, eh? and they also feared that if they moved on him on Monday, that they would be killed by the crowd, because the crowd was with them until about Friday or Thursday night there, yeah. So yeah, Friday morning. So they began looking for a way to kill him, and yet they couldn't find any way to do it because everybody was hanging on his every word. And we finish up, uh, do you hear what these children are saying to you, son of David, Hosanna? Yeah, I do. And have you ever read Psalm 8, verse 2? From the lips of children and infants, you have, you God, have ordained praise for yourself. And he left them with that. I love that. Uh, Period. Boom. End of discussion. Goodbye. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, up a mile and a half to the top of Mount Olives, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived together. Lazarus had died but been raised, and he's at home, well, and everything good. Uh, we don't know for sure that that's where they stayed on Passion Week, but it, it certainly looks like a possibility. So we move now uh, back to verses 14 and following the first chunk there. Um, we move from the Lord's displeasure to the Lord's great delight. He wants to bless people. A lot of people see Jesus as he is the 1% of the whole gospel, turning over the tables with nostrils flared, fire coming out of his ears. Uh, no, no. No, he, he, he says, I didn't come to judge you and condemn you. I came uh, to save you. 1 John chapter 3, right after verse 16, verse 17, says that. The woman caught in the act of adultery. They want to kill her. She's there half clothed at, the, at, at his feet, and he, and he shoos them all away. He says, lady, sweet lady, Listen. Where is everybody? I got rid of them, didn't I, for you? And I don't condemn you either. Hmm. But go your way and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Yeah, that's the heart of God. Even the worst sinners. He just never talked harshly to, to a sinner. Only to the bad guys masquerading (laughs) as Christians who are stumbling other people, if we can call them that. Yeah, the Pharisees insulted Jesus and called him a friend of sinners. You eat with them. You like them. You like sinners. He goes, yeah, I do. I like them. I love them enough to lay down my life for them. And so, yeah. So here now, uh, I mean, Jesus said, uh, the sick need to see a doctor. That's why I'm here. And uh, here come some sick people here. Miraculous. And for me, this is unbelievable because Jesus likes to give evidence to his unbelievable claims. He's claiming to be equal to God, John chapter 10. They caught on. They said, you're making yourself equal to God. He goes, yeah, but, and he says in John 10, he says, then I should only be able to do what God can do. If I'm saying I'm equal to God, then look at my life and judge me this way. Can I do what only God can do? And if I can, then you'll have to rethink your position about me, right? Anybody can say, I'm God, but can anybody heal the the blind and heal the lame in front of you? And that's what he did. Now, they should have, these blind and lame, spiritually speaking, Pharisees and corrupt priests, should have got in line, because if anybody's spiritually blind or lame it was them (laughs) but these uh blind and lame serve to fulfill the messianic prophecy in isaiah chapter 35 it says then the eyes of the blind will be open and the lame will leap like a deer when the messiah comes we will shout for joy and there it is so he's just saying look i'm giving you evidence that my claims are true and I can deliver on my promise to keep you from being condemned and give you life. And of course, the spiritual, spiritual application of the, the lame and the blind is this, that all sinners are lame and blind. Jesus didn't come into the world to, uh, to, to have only uh, a ministry for the disabled. He cared about the disabled, but they are a prophetic picture of a, the sinner spiritually speaking, and the gospel of the greater work. He said, you see me heal people born blind and have never walked. He says, "Greater, greater works will you do. There's nothing greater than that, except the gospel who will open somebody's eyes and get them off the path that leads to eternal hell. That's greater than, say, now I can see trees. Or now I can go like this. No, I'm going to heal you from your inability to be who God made you to be so that you can stop being paralyzed as a husband and be what a husband should be. Paralyzed as a wife, paralyzed as an employer or employee because you can't, you don't have the strength. That's what he's talking about. And that's greater than being able to move your hand. Now you can stand for God. Now you can walk with God. Now you can take hold of the promises of God. Now you have a voice to sing. You see, that's the greater work, and that's what's going on. Awake, sleeper in Christ will shine on you with the light and the life of God. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, that's what's going on here. Their, their reaction to the miraculous is unbelievable. <laughs> These swindlers... Your verse says, they see the wonderful things and they don't repent and say, boy, we've made a mistake. Instead, they become outraged. I have a quote here from David Guzik, a Calvary Chapel guy. Uh, the, the The hypocrisy of the religious leaders is evident. Greed and theft in the temple didn't bother them, but praise to Jesus did. That's amazing, you know. So what are they indignant? They're indignant, we traded our stalls for this. Some lunatics leaping around and some fakers saying, oh, I was blind and now I can see we're losing a lot of money because of this. And that's why they're indignant. And the other reason, indignant has a little feel of hot. They're angry. Why are they so angry? Because the evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be there is a threat to them. It means when you see a new life, lame, jumping around in the name of Jesus, it means as an unbeliever, you're wrong, you're guilty, and need to repent. So when people see the blind who say, I once was blind, Now I see, and now you were lame, but now you're pretty much got it together because God's helping you. When they see that, the wonderful things, even today, they become indignant, why? Because you're a threat, you don't have to say a word. You're a threat to their autonomy, to their way of life, to their sin-loving souls. Now they see once again, I need to repent. And so to deal with it, instead of repenting, what they do is wanna erase you. So we need to turn on you. You're crazy. You're arrogant. You're stupid. You're narrow-minded. You're intolerant. And the list goes on. Don't take it personally. God says, please, don't. This This isn't about you. They're mad at me. You're just my messenger, you know. So it's not just that they saw wonderful things. They heard wonderful things, right? The kids are shouting out praise the young, the grade schoolers. They get it. Why? The grade schoolers see blind people rejoicing and seeing their family's faces for the first time. And people brought in on stretchers, uh, dancing and the joy. And the kids are smart enough to realize this is amazing. They hear their parents. This, And so what they're saying is, uh, plain and simple, uh, praise God, the Messiah is here. Praise God. He sent the Savior. That's what Hosanna means, hallelujah. Praise God. Son of David means, in 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 14, note takers, there was a promise that from the body, biologically related, the Messiah would be to King David. 1,000 years later, through Mary and Joseph, They're both blood ancestors to King David. We didn't need Joseph to be because he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's born of Mary. Mary is blood to David. Therefore, the man part of Jesus, he's fully man and fully God, conceived of the Holy Spirit. The man part is 100% blood to King David. He's his grandson times uh, 42 greats. 42 greats and you've got on Jesus' human side, his grandson. So by the kid saying son of David, that's why they say, do you hear what they're saying? They're saying you're everlasting father, prince of peace, almighty God, wonderful counselor. You, you don't hear that? And he says, well, don't you read the Psalms where God in Psalm eight verse two says, I've inspired them, they understand me, They can worship me. They understand better than you what's going on here. And they give fitting praise to God. It's inspired of God. It's received of God. And what makes you crazy and bothers your ears is music and sweet to the ears of the most high. God's behind that praise. That's what he said, period. And ends it. He ends it with a scripture, like in your face. You know, these kids, these kids are smarter than you guys. The kids love it and get it. And Jesus always loves to be around those kids. And we close with this kind of conclusion here. There's a lot of prophetic pictures in the New Testament. They really happen. This really happened, but it points to a, spiritual application in the wider gospel here's what's happening the gospel will tell us that the temple was temporary and indeed it was destroyed in AD 70 never to rise again on purpose because god knows the temple is now longer no longer rocks and walls but it's his people let me show you don't you realize your body Is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is in our house, our heart, our body. And that's why he's telling the Corinthians, you gotta watch how you live because God's inside. You're the temple, man. You don't wanna have merchandisers in there with messy, smelly stalls, do you? Because the Lord of glory is in the house. You're the house. And the Holy Spirit is always wanting to do spring cleaning. Now, get this by one sacrifice, He perfected you forever and wiped those stalls clean. <laughs> Done. Not because you went and swept and did anything. No, 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 you can't. It's a, it's a messy factory in that heart of yours and mine. It's just warped, and all it does is, is, is create one stall gets wiped out and up. It's like that gopher hitting uh, game. You know, the mole pops up. You hit it with a hammer. Another one goes over here. You know, that's the way it is. So by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, he's perfected us in one sense. And in another sense, he says in Second Corinthians 7, 1, because we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Did you hear that? Let us cleanse ourselves. And there are places where, in oh, this is what it means. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. It means, let the Holy Spirit show you, here, here's a stall in your heart, come on, of unforgiveness, resentment, gossiping, hurt feelings, self-centeredness. There's a skull there. Yeah, what's it doing in here? Okay, he calls your attention to it. He says, uh, let me give you the help, and I want you to cooperate with me, and let's get sweeping together. Let's sweep that out. Let's drive that. Here's the whip. Get that thing, That get that beast out of you, gentlemen. Sexual immor- immorality in the form of what you're looking at. In the stalls of the courts of the law, Lord. <laughs> Take a cord to that. One hand of yours and one hand with a nail scarred. And whoosh, get that thing out of there. So that there's room for what? Enlightenment, strengthening, the blind, the lame. He can do his work. Get rid of the mess, and then he'll bless. Let's pray. God, we thank you that apart from you, we can't get rid of any mess. <laughs> we just, that's our, one of our gifts, God. <laughs> we keep making messes. And your gift is you keep helping us to clean. And in that one sense, God, I can't say it too many times, you took care of it all. will never be charged or used. It will never be charged against us these things God but they do get in the way of being effective and productive and blessed so help us God to do some spring cleaning every single morning every single evening when we review with you God what's going on inside Mm -hmm. the temple of the Lord our hearts Mm -hmm. in Jesus name amen